to see one. Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. It is our job here at Cracked Rackets to provide all of you listeners with all of the information you need to enjoy the plethora of events coming just around the corner on the tennis calendar. Of course, the North American Hardcourt Summer, it's starting sooner than you think. We will have the Rogers Cup, the Western and Southern Open, and of course, the U.S. Open all within the next two months. But of course, more immediate than that are the 2021 Olympic Games. Normally, these games would have been held last summer, but of course, due to the pandemic, that was made impossible. As such, we see so many of the top players in the world descend upon Tokyo for these 2021 Olympic Games. We are going to know if Novak Djokovic is able to capture that one elusive title, that Olympic gold medal in singles, as he will be competing in this event. Of course, we're going to see many of the next-gen guys, Medvedev, Zverev, Tsitsipas, Rublev, they're all in play on the women's side. We'll not only have Ashley Barty, Arena Sabalenka, Karolina Pliskova. Uh, I think you'll have all four of your Wimbledon semifinalists. But of course, we also have Naomi Osaka competing in these games as well. It's her home country of Japan as such. She wants to be able to perform for her home country, despite the fact that there won't be any fans in attendance to see her play. But nevertheless, it's an exciting time to be a tennis fan because anytime you get a once in four years sort of event, that is something to get excited about. And I wanted to talk about the Olympic Games, what they have meant historically to tennis, who are some of the past champions of these Olympic Games, what were they able to do following their title, and what lessons should we learn from those title runs. And of course, I could think of no better person to join me on today's podcast to talk all things Olympics and help preview this upcoming Games than New York Times contributor, No Challenges Remaining podcast host, friend of the program, Ben Rothenberg. He and I on today's Today's podcast talk about that significance historically of these Olympic Games. We do our best to preview the field. We debate which players perhaps erred in making the decision to forego these games, to go play, whether it's clay court events right now, early hard court summer events, just opted out of heading to Tokyo. We discuss why that may not have been the right decision, why for some players it may have been the correct decision. And then, of course, I did want to ask Ben at the start about what it was like to cover an event on the ground. That's something so many of us haven't been able to do. Attend tennis events in person, of course, as a member of the media becomes that much more important to have access to players, coaches, to be able to accurately inform everyone what's going on behind the scenes. And so little inside baseball talk at the start. Nevertheless, it is always a pleasure to have Ben on the podcast. So I know you listeners are going to enjoy today's show. Of course, the reason we're able to do these day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you from our Patreon family. Family and, of course, from our friends over at Turna Tennis. You already know Turna's the best in the business, so I'll just let you know how you can get in contact with them and join the Turna team. No reason to wait any longer. You can email sales at uniquesports.com or call 800-554-3707 today to join the Turna team. You mentioned Cracked Racket sent you. They'll hook you up with discounted college pricing, hook you up with some free samples as well. Treat
treat you like family. Again, that's email sales at uniquesports.com or call 800-554-3707 today. With that said, an Olympic preview with Ben Rothenberg. Westoff, roll the conversation. Let's get to today's show. Joining us on the podcast once again today, a returning champion here on our Cracked Racket shows. You know his work best as the winner of the New York Times Daily Crossword Puzzle. You may also know him as a victor in your local trivia contest. Oh yeah, he covers tennis as well. It is our friend from the New York Times, from No Challenges Remaining, from Tennis Majors, from Racket Magazine, from just about everywhere, dare I say my sensei, from the University of Michigan, most importantly, it's Ben Rothenberg. Ben, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing, my friend? I'm good. Go blue. That was quite an introduction. I actually haven't done the crossword in a few months. It's been taking taking some time off, resetting, letting the sort of chamber refill a bit on the app. So I have a bunch to do whenever I get in the mood again. I'll be able to blitz through uh, some old, fresh to me content. Uh, yeah, but I know the skills are still there. I'm sort of like, who is anyone doing that right now? No, I feel like everybody who's taking time off now, like skills are questionable. Yeah, it's honestly, it's because I don't think anybody's lockdowns yeah. are opening. People have things to do again. It's like, should I start my crossword puzzle with the, or my day with a fifteen minute crossword puzzle, or should I respond to the forty five work emails I have? Probably the latter. You know, it's not taking me fifteen minutes most days. I am speedier <laughs> than that, Gruskin. Come on now, come on. Maybe you've just changed your coffee habits, so like those opening six minutes in the day that were always there are no longer there. If you catch my drift. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. That's, we'll go with that. But, of course, it is always a pleasure to have you now. I say you're my sensei. In reality, you just happen to be born a few years before me. We're peers more than anything else. No, but the question I have to ask you, because I know you've played some tennis in your day. I have officially reached the point where after playing a two out of three set match, everything hurts the next day. Like, yeah. I, is it? It's all downhill. Like I'm 25. I'm not proud that it's happening at this age. I like to think it's because I push myself. Like I'm still a prime 16, 17 year old. But there's a lot of pain. Is that going to change anytime soon? No, it's only getting worse. I mean, it's not linear uh, necessarily, and it's not going to be <laughs> how fast it gets worse is really up to you. And I think you're, you know, pretty physically active guy. I think you'll be able to hold it off relatively. Um, but you're also going to find yourself not wanting to push as hard as you did before because the consequences will be real. So, like, when I play tennis now, I'm not – and I mean, my tennis play was never as good as yours. Uh, I'm not throwing myself around the court or, like, even trying to hit, like, serves, like, with anything on them at all. Like, I'm just kind of dinking the ball around and junk in, and which I kind of always did. And, and I occasionally will try to rip some forehands still, of course, mm-hmm. but the, the sort of in between that – it's like it's very very controlled minimal effort and i haven't i don't know the last time i played a third set of anything i mean usually <laughs> i play with andrew eccles you may know yeah, from twitter who's a 10th person usually i just beat him in straights so <laughs> the third sets are not necessary so you bring up a point that was really what i wanted to get to and i'm as always you lead me to the segue when does it become appropriate to request only ground stroke games to be like look do we really need to serve aren't we just here to sweat Anytime. I mean, I think that was uh, was that ever inappropriate for you. Well, in, I mean, are, are you playing with people who like re- do, request so serving? With, I think whenever you take serving off the table, I feel like people almost everybody's happy. I mean, you're you know strapping young six foot whatever lad who I'm sure loves throwing down bombs and stuff. But like for me, that was never my vibe. So and so people were never thinking that was going to be on the table for me. It's a good counterpoint. 
when you it's someone I know, there's no formalities. We can get right to the ground stroke games. We don't need to play around. If it's someone you don't know, it's a first-time hit. And I actually do think these are things listeners wonder to themselves. When you're setting up in a mm-hmm. club, what are the sorts of things you should be doing when you're hitting for fun? Always warm up two out of three ground stroke games. If you're in shape to 21, oh, if you're so not you're talking 11. About like ground strokes, yeah. So, I, interesting. I don't... I don't do a lot of ground stroke stuff where you're keeping score. Oh, like I I'll just have times. Score. Come on, I, I I feel I I respect that. I okay. definitely respect that. But the last time I played tennis um, was with uh, another. I'm gonna keep name dropping with Louisa Thomas, another tennis writer, sure. and she's she's legit. By the way, yeah. she can she can rip the ball. Um, I was I was I was impressed because she's not not a very you know uh, she's fairly slender person and but she was just like oh it was nice nice balls from her anyway uh i looked ridiculous out there probably with her (laughs) anyway she uh she uh we didn't do any scorekeeping we just sort of rallied for like an hour Mm -hmm. roughly and it was fine Mm -hmm. uh but i do i do sort of love you know i i I sort of pitched the idea of doing a tiebreak or something i like i do like i'm a competitive person i like Mm Competing out there, so no, no say former no players. So no McEnroe, no Honchakovas, no Petkovic's, no former players who have dabbled in media. Former college players, so I suppose Nina Pantic counts. She probably wins, but of tennis media, the tennis intelligentsia, as I like to refer to them, if the U.S. Open's like we're doing a draw, media members only, winner gets mm. free meal passes for the second week. Who's winning that title? Depends on who's there. Um, Everyone's there. There's there's a Belgian. Well, I also don't haven't seen people play. Some like <laughs> all time best, like Kurt Streeter, who's a New York Times columnist. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a tour ranked player. He was ranked in the I want to say the 800s or so, and he played college. He was played there. Philip De Wolf, who is a Belgian reporter, he made a French Open semifinal uh, as a qualifier, one of the shock semifinalists. Uh, so never seen him play, but I'm pretty sure he can probably still ball. Uh, the Brits play a lot. Uh, so they're good. The people I play, uh, people I play with most, uh, Ricky Diamond and David Avakian, very different players. Uh, Ricky's very athletic, and David's just like beautiful ball striker, <laughs> uh, beautiful one hander. He like very, very clearly someone who like studied the Federer game and, and tried to emulate that with actual like decent success at kind of looking stroke wise like Federer. Uh, if not the movement or anything, but uh, yeah, uh, there's some there's some good players. It's you know most people at least in my sort of job who are daily writers. You know when you're at a tournament, like we don't we very rarely have time to play during tournaments. So I actually don't spend a lot of time playing tennis. There are certain people who do that's important to them to make time uh, during their tournament times, so, like get up early and go play tennis. I'm not a morning person so much, so. <laughs> It's not something that I often do. I do it occasionally at the U.S. Open. Uh, Carl Bialik, who lives in New York, has the courts at his apartment building, which are nice. So I've done that a few times. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but there are some good there are some good players. All I'm saying, two hours of up and down the river each morning determines the, the order of questions for every press conference. I think that's a meritocracy. What is up and down the river? I don't even know what that uh, means. That's tennis players right now listening to this podcast are shedding a tear that's a go-to drill like when you're in a clinic and it's like let's figure who the best are who the worst are play up and down the river it's like half court down the line up to 11 or half court cross court play everyone on your court best records move up worst records move down etc it's a it's a good drill or at least yeah it is nice and so anyways that would be how we determine the press order but speaking of that press order enough on the opening tangent let's talk ben rothenberg 
on the ground at Wimbledon. You had the opportunity to go cover the event in person, first time on the grounds in a healthy amount of time. What was your experience like? Again, any any takeaways beyond the normal experience? Were there perhaps a warm reception, just the fact no one's seen anyone in a while? And, you know, I feel like just in general people are happy to see one another. What, what were your takeaways from the experience? Yeah, it's my first tournament since Australian Open 2020 uh, that I was at. So just about 18 months being away. And it's sort of a weird one to come back to. I mean, like, Wimbledon is obviously such a big event. Like, it's not usually where I start my Europe trip. I usually start my Europe trip in Rome, honestly, and then go spend the nine weeks in Europe, you know, doing Rome, French Open, week off, usually then, like, Halle or Queens, and then Roehampton, Qualies, and then Wimbledon. So going just Wimbledon was a different feel already. Like, starting a trip at Wimbledon was something I hadn't done before. But I... I was really happy to be there. I got to say, like, I had pretty low expectations for it, honestly. Like, I was like, oh, wow, there's going to be some restrictions. It's going to suck. Like, we're not going to be able to do anything. It's going to just be, like, being at home, um, but over there, and it's going to be miserable. But actually, it was really, really nice just being around people who also cared about the event that was going on. That that was so different. Like, I mean, you know, you live in a, a bungalow full of, full of tennis people at this point. Like, you get to be around people who also care about it, members of the tribe in that way, who speak, <laughs> who can speak the language of tennis and who can, you know, uh, who can get excited or care or get on the sort of pulse of an event. And that's something I didn't have at all when I was at home. You know, I'm at home with, you know, a dog who doesn't care that it's a third set tiebreak coming up, you know, who, who doesn't care about any of that. Like, and, and whoever else is around here too like doesn't care um, i have group chats and stuff but it's not the same as being actually in a room of people who are also sort of you know living and breathing the event and getting synced up with the heartbeat of the event uh, so that was the best part about it just being around other people and, and feeling and then also just feeling like i was sort of a functioning member of society again you know being in a place where i had to you know get dressed for work every day and shower every day and <laughs> things like that that were that were definitely slacking at times during the last previous 18 months you know just like being back it honestly felt more like i said this a few times it felt more like time travel Mm -hmm. than like regular travel like it was going back to my old life and that was that was pretty cool there were obviously certain parts about it that were restricted uh notably no access to player areas or where any of the coaches would be or anything like that which i do think meaningfully makes the work tougher and makes the work output worse uh, and especially having no like in-person press conferences too. Looking forward to whenever the zooms can end, or at least be you know at least have some in-person access because there's a degree of of humanity and spontaneity that's completely lost in the coverage when all you ever get with the players of the subjects is pre-designated zoom times where you ask a question and you're immediately muted as soon as it finishes. It's very very dehumanizing, and so I just I feel like the sort of work output that I was doing, um, and also I was rusty, but the work output <laughs> I was doing probably wasn't by any means like the best of my of my career, uh, or probably anybody. I don't think anybody's doing their best work right now, honestly, in this in this moment of, of tennis coverage. But speaking for the group, but right. uh, but yeah, this guy, I this guy. well you you this guy's doing his best work. This is your this is your best. This pod probably not those opening five minutes. Okay. I take back three of them, but no, yeah, yeah you know, outside okay. of that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think I look forward to you doing even better than that. Um, <laughs> no, but there. But you know, my progression it, it was, is it was, linear. It was, but go on. It was really, it was really nice being back. I'm looking forward to uh, to being at more tournaments. I got to say, after getting a taste of doing it in person again, it's gonna be even tougher to get back to doing it remote. If I had to do another, especially another slam remote, 
it, it might not be a totally linear progress where like everything's back to normal, especially with like Australia. God knows what that's going to be like. Uh, U.S. Open, I believe I'm going to be there in person. Uh, Cincinnati, I think I'll be at in person. Washington, definitely I'll be at in person. Although I don't know what the sort of setup for media is at those tournaments. It's still a little bit unclear at Washington, Cincinnati, last I heard. And uh, it's pretty close when those tournaments are starting to, not too far in the distance. So it's like two weeks away and four weeks away for those two events. So, you know, but, but yeah, it was really nice feeling like a functional person and being around a tennis sort of vibe was cool. And being at the matches was cool, obviously. And, it, and it, in the stadiums, it did feel like the old days with the no masks and the and the full stadiums by the end. It was it was cool. Mm-hmm. And to rapid fire through, because Wimbledon's in the, in the rear view mirror, but it was good to see that your fingers still worked. Bunch of stories for you, obviously, with our friends mm-hmm. over at the New York Times. Um, again, you didn't have access to the players, the coaches, like you normally would. Curious, though, because it's been a year since you've been on the ground, do you feel younger at all? We talk about the generational shift happening on the gr- um, in the game and uh, in the results week in, week out. There are some new faces, right? There are a bunch of new second-week performers. Obviously, here at Wimbledon in particular, we haven't seen runs like this from a Berrettini. We hadn't seen uh, you know, people like uh, – it's blanking out now. All of these round of 16 matches are a blur. But the point is there's Hubie Hercots, obviously, Dennis Shapovalov yeah. making their first semifinals. And just on the women's side as well, Sabalenka first semifinal and – just it feels like week in, week out, pick a name out of a hat. It feel that way on the grounds to you? No, I mean, I, well, honestly, I've had some continuity in terms of, because with the players, it was just Zoom. So sure. I've been in Zooms with all those people before. And, like, the names weren't that crazy. I mean, like, Berrettini, I had spoken to, the first time I spoke to Berrettini was after, what year would it have been? It was after he beat Sock in the first round of Wimbledon during Sock's real collapse year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I guess it was 2018, yeah. 2018. So I've known Berrettini. I've, I've spoken to Berrettini for a while. Like he, I did a one-on-one with him, which was a highlight. I did two like good one-on-ones for the times during Wimbledon with him and one with him and one with Pliskova. And um, and so no Berrettini, I feel pretty familiar with. Pretty, I know about him. And you know, there are some players certainly who I haven't spent a ton of time with who are moving up the rankings. Like I've barely spent any time talking to or being in the same room with like. Casper Rude, yeah. who's I, suddenly like a top fifteen player. And that's player. the sort of player I'm referring to. It's but, not as much the, yeah. the the top names and the weekend week out interactions in the press conference. It's more just it's a younger crowd. It's the Davidovich Fokinas have replaced the Feliciano Lopez's, if that makes sense. And as you mentioned, the Casper Rudes yeah. are in, and like the I'm trying to think who's a good like who's a good number thirty player from like the 2012 era who's just always kind of hanging around. The point is that sort of player. Elmagro El was right. Like a Verdasco. Sure, exactly. They're gone now. Yeah. And, it, and it's a lot of young, like it's the Clara Burrells of the world. And, uh, you know, yeah, that's no, there are certain, it was interesting because there were certainly players, you know, when I was doing, when I started doing Zooms for the first time in Palermo 2020, was the first Zoom, was the first tournament back from the, from the uh, hiatus. And I remember the first time I did one with a player I'd never spoken to before. It was different. It was, because, you know, you talk to Irani or Kirste or whoever else was playing that first day. It's like, oh, we know each other. Like, this is not that weird. Like, we have a bit of a rapport here. And that, but I remember talking to Fiona Farrow, who I had never spoken to before. And I think she went out to win that tournament. And I was sort of like, oh, this is be different. Like, it does feel meaningfully more awkward to meet somebody for the first time on Zoom. Uh, but then, you know, now we're sort of over that. And now you lose a lot of the familiarity. Obviously, you know, lots of players relax when they, when they see people they know. And they're still that still happens on Zoom. But uh, last one, yeah, I'm trying to look at, like, Wimbledon, I don't think, was the most crazy tournament that way. Mm-hmm. Like, the new names was, like, people had a lot of runway. It was, like, Felix yeah. was a new name there. Felix and Chapo and Berrettini, that's not that random. You know, if it was, like, and even, honestly, like, for the women this year, like, 
obviously the most random quote unquote thing happening would be Krejcikova winning a slam, right? But Krejcikova, I had happened to know for having written about her a bunch and her story with Yana Novotna when she was a doubles player and stuff like that, and even Pavlyuchenkova. Like Tamara Sedanchek did not know at all, never spoken to before. Uh, Another only the 2021 French Open. Yeah, I had not spoken to her. Some people had. Some people had spoken to her. I know, like, I know Reem Abelail wrote a story about, about Shadanshik when she was top seed in Wimbledon Qualies a couple years ago. But, uh, yeah, so there obviously are people who you don't get to know as well, and but make the most of it. And just look forward to when it's when it's more organic. It's like so much of the sort of coverage you do and is from just picking up the vibe of a place. That's the value of being there and being... You know, behind the curtain, oftentimes a lot in the player areas get a sense of who's, you know, who's how people are feeling, what the sort of rumors are, what the sort of who people are like, wow, you know, you got to watch out for, I don't know who example would be like Dom Shapo, like. Well, I was Tom Stricker, sure. But uh, I was thinking, like, Chapeau. Like, someone could say, like, before the tournament, like, oh, Chapeau looks really good. Like, you know, like, obviously miss the French, but, like, watch out for Chapeau. That's the kind of buzz you would hear if you were just walking around. That people aren't going to randomly, like, some, like, random coach isn't going to text you, like, hey, I saw Chapeau today. He looks good. That's the kind of thing you say, like, in, that's like small talk, you know? And you're not having the small talk uh, remotely so much. It's uh, it's all, it, everything has to be a little bit less organic and you do, do lose some something from that mm-hmm. no it's again it's part of the process of returning to normalcy and certainly again there are so many different pieces again rapid fire here through Wimbledon takes Ashley Barty definitive number one in the women's game yes or no of course I mean like who else would it be yes is Ashley Barty best comparison for her career to date Venus Williams that's a take I've been brewing yes or no Ooh. No. No. Why does that make any sense? So no. Both of them terrible win take. about 85% of their matches in their prime. Venus won four titles in five seasons. She was never ranked number one because there were more dominant power players such as Serena. Venus was ranked number one. No, Venus sorry, never, one. never ended a year number one is what I'm trying to say. Is what okay. I meant to say okay. because there were other more perhaps dominant players, players like a Serena or like a Justine Annan, like a Kim Kleisters, who when they played their best seemed a little bit better than Venus is. That, when I talk to people about Barty, they don't seem as convinced. Like, that her ceiling is as high as some of these other players right now in the game. That, you know, again, compared to an Osaka and Andrescu, a Sabalenka even in her power tennis, that their best is better than Barty's best. Where are you right now on that topic? I mean, Venus won seven slams in a really tough era. True. And so I don't think that that's a, that, that's not an easy person to compare anybody to, honestly. Venus remains the second most winning slam player of active players uh, behind her sister only. And nobody else has come. I guess Sharapova got five, but she's no longer active. So, like, there, there's nobody that close. No, I mean, like, Barty's is an interesting one. I mean, maybe she's almost shaping up more... Like, if she was doing things that, like, I don't know, Moresmo was doing it, if Moresmo had success earlier, like getting, you know, the one slam that was kind of fluky, honestly, like Australia 2006 for Moresmo, and then backing it up with a great Wimbledon run, that's that feels very Moresmo vibes to me. Uh, but obviously, Moresmo did that kind of at the end, and it was like, wow, she finally did it, kind of tail for her after having, you know, first made her first slam final in 99. Um, so, different timeline, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure there's an easy easy parallel, but I definitely reject the Venus Williams comparison. Right. Heartily. No, yeah. I, I like yeah. a good rejection. Who writes that yeah. Ashley Barty needs to win Australian Open piece? Who's writing that piece? Because it's coming, heading into this 20... That, that's the missing thing. It's like all the pressure is on her. That's the storyline of the 2020s. It's coming. I guess, yeah. I mean, like, she had a, a rough loss there this year. That was not a good loss for her against Mukova. Yeah. 
Um, but I think people like Barty so much that she's not going to get that. And she's very good at kind of controlling her narrative, honestly. Mm-hmm. And you can do that. And I think she's very effective at that. And so I think that she's going to get pretty... So, I mean, obviously, if she goes, like, five more years being number one and never wins Australia, then obviously that sort of... Those whispers will grow louder about why she can't do it at home. Mm-hmm. Um, but her results there have been solid enough. I mean, semifinal in 2020 as her first time there at number one. And then uh, quarters this year after having not played in a long time. I don't think her results were, have been really worrisome there yet. But, yeah, that will be something people look for for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think she's absolutely someone who's a plausible career slam candidate because the real long shot would have been uh, France from what we thought about her as a player, and she got that one first. So mm-hmm. definitely think if she stays healthy and everything that she's got more Wimbledon's in her future. Yeah, absolutely, it will be something. Or more Wimbledon contending, at least. Yeah, yeah. No, Again, I feel like five's an interesting number for her. If she gets to a round there in terms of Grand Slam singles titles, that feels about right for Ashley Barty. That'll be uh, a number for her to chase. But, of course, being on the ground's one thing I'm sure you were talking with other journalists about, talking with the players and coaches you did have access to, is the Olympic Games. And, of course, that is the big upcoming event here in the summer. And, you know, the withdrawals uh, in the event, in particular in the men's field, have felt particularly staggering of late. You know, the, why yeah. did we start with the exhibition talk? Because the, the running joke is that maybe it's going to be me and Ben in the gold medal final. And honestly, I think that's a match people will enjoy watching. Uh, because That'd be nice. Well, I think people would like to watch you get destroyed. And there's nothing I'd be happy more than... I'd like to see me win five rounds to get there. What would that look like? <laughs> that's really the question if I'm in a gold medal match. You knock off Matt Rackett, a 13-12 uh, and a fifth set breaker, that he's upset that that's the format you guys are playing. But you look at, at the field, the players who have withdrawn will start on the women's side. Six of the top 25 players will not compete. This comes from our friend Chris Otto over at Tennis Majors. Simona Halep out of the event. Bianca Andreescu out of the event. Sonia Kennan out of the event. Vika Azarenka out of the event. Serena Williams out of the event. You also have no Angelique Kerber and unfortunately no Coco Goff as she tests positive for COVID uh, in the past week. You also aren't going to have any Madison Keys, no Daria Kasatkina. You know, you can go down the list. Martich, Kirstea, Kanta, players who have been in the mix as well, but uh, no Jill Teichman, I suppose. That's your last player who have pulled out. You look on the men's side, a little bit uh, a little bit more, 11 of the top 25. No Nadal, no team, no Berrettini, Federer out of this event, no Denis Shapovalov, Bautista Gut, Kasparud, Demonauer, Kristen Garin, David Goffin, Grigor Dimitrov, Milos Raonic, Yannick Ben Rothenberg, Sinner, all out of the event, your top 25 players. There's also going to be no Dan Evans, no Cam Norrie, no Riley Opelka, no John Isner, no Taylor Fritz. Uh, they will all opt. No Sebastian Corda either. A bunch of them opting to play the City Open, stay here, play uh, a couple of the North American hardcourt events. Let's just start there. You were on the grounds during Wimbledon. I'm sure the talks continue to unfold because, quite frankly, Japan is in a different place in terms of their fight against COVID-19 than we are here in the United States, than they were there in the United Kingdom and in England. And it sounds as though England is doing spectacular against COVID right now. But given all the restrictions, I mean, what was the talk? What, what were the factors that go into seeing all these players pull out? Look, I mean, you're you're right. What you said about every—it's one of the remarkable things about COVID—is that every country, you know, has had 
its own journey and there's not really necessarily a huge pattern they follow either like the u.s and canada have had pretty different journeys you know the u.s and australia a country we probably compare ourselves to a lot a lot in common with australia they have a completely different journey than, than we have had and, and the uk has been different too um some similarities maybe with us in the uk is probably not the most different in terms of covid journeys but japan definitely been very different and surprisingly slow i think a lot of people think on the vaccination i think only something like Last I heard, something like nine percent people vaccinated or double vaccinated. I wasn't sure what I'm not sure what the number was, but it was really low uh, for a country that we usually think of as being on top of things. Uh, so, yeah, so that I mean that's in the background, obviously. But I honestly don't think that like the Japan COVID situation is really a factor in this uh, Olympic exodus. I haven't heard anybody mention that. It's like I'm, I'm worried about the COVID situation in Japan. No one said that. So I it, it honestly just really. It's been really disappointing. It was really disappointing to see the sort of the names pile up, and especially people. Obviously, there are some in there. You, you just list a bunch of names and some different reasons. Like Coco Golf tested positive recently; she wanted to go. Uh, Simona Halep has this bad calf injury that she was forced out of Wimbledon title defense and uh, and the Olympics. Uh, so she, she's another one who didn't really have a choice about it. Berrettini similarly had a, had a thigh injury. He suffered during the Wimbledon semifinals. Good, he was able to play through it because that looked bad during the semifinal. Federer, same um, deal. Yeah, Federer. We, yeah, Federer seems like the same deal at this point. Um, he said he had a knee setback during his grass match, which would explain the third set against uh, Hubie Hercatch, which was pretty pretty dire from him. That was a weird one to be in the stadium for <laughs> that third set of that Federer match. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but but there's been more and more that I can remember, like elective people opting out, especially Americans. I got to say, and like it's been disappointing i think fair to say i mean like obviously you know like everyone can do what they want whatever i guess and and the good news is if you pull out in time like some other grateful person is getting your spot uh and people who didn't expect to make the olympics from a lot of different countries are not making the olympics and are really excited about it i saw a post from like sumit nagal who made the olympics who i don't think was making it under any sort of normal circumstances who made it in and, and he was delighted by that um but yeah like there are just these players who i, I look at who are pulling out and I just don't get it. Like, I just think it's such a miscalculation. I think the risk-reward for playing the Olympics is so, it's so, so good. If you're somebody like a Yannick Sinner or a Sebastian Corda, you know, who's had the results to where in this kind of field, you can absolutely be, you know, an outside metal threat. Like, I mean, like, this field is not that different from the Miami field, really, in terms of uh, depth and, and, and difficulty. And those guys, I mean, center made the final of Miami and quarter to make quarters and has only played better since then. Like they could absolutely be in the mix to do really well at this tournament. And then you're Olympic medalist. And that's something you have with you for the rest of your life. And it's a huge boost to your, your career and, and everything. And just like, I don't know, like no one's going to care in, in two years, much less, you know, 30 years. If you won Atlanta, you know, or Los Cabos. Honestly, no one's going to care. That doesn't that doesn't really have any cachet. Like, I, obviously, like I respect those events. Those are solid events on the tour. No, it'll be a data point. In Taylor Fritz was a four time ATP title winner. Like that's what it is. It's not. Hey, he no, was the 19th. Like, yeah, but yeah, like they say, no. yeah, but no one's going to care. Honestly, like if, if if people do that, but they will. Everyone knows the Olympics. Is. Honestly, yeah. even just saying you made the team. You know, if you're if you're, I mean. Both of those guys, one would assume, will have more chances to make the team, and that's what they're thinking. But you never know. Honestly, even someone like Kennan, who I know is going through a lot right now, but like she's never made the Olympic team before. She's trending down currently. 
like, wouldn't you want to take advantage of this chance where you have an Olympic golden ticket to go so, and get yourself an Olympic team and like and and do the thing once? I that's that would be my thinking. Just like just from a sort of bucket list perspective, from a no regrets perspective. I've never I've been around a lot of players in various Olympic cycles, dating back to oh wait, the first one of the first tournaments I ever covered. Uh, back for the website talkabouttennis.com was the 2008 uh, Leg Mason Classic in Washington and that before the city opened and that was before the city opened existed and that was a tournament where Andy Rock skipped to skipped Beijing to play Washington that year and you could definitely sort of sense him regretting it as the week went on and as James Blake went on a great run there and just like everyone's all talking about the Olympics and there was a lot of Olympics buzz and he went up losing the quarters of Washington that year to Troitsky who no one had heard of at all at that point and uh, you know I, I just I just don't think it's something you'll ever regret going to play the Olympics. I just I just don't. Even if you have even if you bomb out of the U.S. Open, like who cares? You'll get more U.S. Opens, and honestly, it wouldn't be because of that. Almost certainly, we saw that in uh, in 2016. The two people who won the U.S. Open. I know I'm rambling here. Sorry. Feel free to direct me wherever you want after this. But <laughs> two people who won the U.S. Open in 2016 were Kerber, who made it all the way to the gold medal match in Rio and lost to Puig. Had like a long Olympic slog, and then Vavrinka, who skipped the Olympics and went just to play uh, U.S. hard courts, or whatever, and then he ramped up and won uh, won the U.S. Open that year. And so either route works. If there's no like proven strategy, I, I'm not buying that you know you're going to somehow derail your by going to play the Olympics and having a magical experience with your country. Like you see the videos there. Like I'm sure there's lots of FOMO happening from folks who pulled out and. Yeah, I just I know there's a lot of money I'm sure being dangled at, at these guys, you know, in, in Los Cabos and Atlanta and stuff, but uh it's not worth it. And then there's other players, you know. Look at like uh and I sort of didn't mention this category, but like Rafa. You know, Rafa pulling out of the Olympics in Wimbledon, but then signing up for Washington, which is just one week after the Olympics, like immediately after the event ends. Like that's close enough to where like that was a choice. You know, like he w- could have he could have played the Olympics by all appearances. I'm looking forward to asking him about this when he gets to Washington, if he does play Washington. Um, but that's like, that was interesting too, to like say, this is a calculation. Like I'm gunning for New York. I think I can win this, that slam. I've won it a lot before in the last decade. LFG USO. All right. So where do I direct from LFG USO? That's a, that's a tough segue from there, but uh, no, I think a lot of what you said speaks to, what have the Olympics meant historically? And that's where I do want to go from here because, you know, it, it, it depends on your perspective. There's so much in sports in being a sport fan, and it applies just regardless of if this is what the title is called. There's a ring culture now, right? How many championships have you won? In tennis, it's how many slams do you have? If you don't have a slam, are you actually relevant? And, you know, are the Olympics held on the pedigree? of the Grand Slams. Have they been historically? If you came of age as a tennis fan in the 2010s, you may be more inclined to put some value in the Olympic Games. Why is that? Because you look at who's won the two Olympic Games, the gold medal in singles in the 2010s, it's Andy Murray. And his winning of that 2012 gold medal can very much be considered the catapult that helped him get over the hump, win the U.S. Open in 2012, <clears throat> capture that first Grand Slam title. Of course, that 2012 uh, Wimbledon gold medal came on the backs of one of the most emotional losses you're going to see in the 2020, uh, in the 2012, excuse Excuse me, Wimbledon men's singles final. And then, of course, 2016 comes around, and you have right off the bat 
Novak Djokovic playing close to his best tennis, and let's remember, 2016, Novak Djokovic had won the uh, not the calendar Grand Slam, but was the holder of all four major titles after the 2016 Australian Open, and was about as close to his prime as you are going to find him. And was maybe one of five times in his career he lost while playing his best tennis against a resurgent Juan Martín Del Potro. Djokovic leaves the courts in tears. And you felt the emotion for Del Potro, who was crying after his victory, who Mm -hmm. goes on, plays this incredible match against Rafael Nadal in the semifinals, wins that one as well. First three sets, honestly, all four sets of the Murray gold medal match, and I watched it like two weeks ago because that's just what I do. Um, It's an incredible level. And, like, it was such a captivating Olympic Games. And so right there on the men's side, you're locked in. Now, of course, on the women's side, 2016, Monica Pui, historic run uh, for her home country. And you look over the years, the success that's been had, whether it was the 2012 final, Serena versus Sharapova. That was one of those inflection point, you remember, where you were matches when it happened. And, you know, you can go all the way back because the Olympics, it really started in 1988 once again. But go to 96, Agassi winning the gold medal. Was that the launch point for the second half of his career? It's you big. could argue yes. Yeah, and like 92, Capriati. And 2000, Venus Williams. 04, Justine Ennin. You look at so many of these players, what the Olympic gold medal served as, and it was a launch point for them entering the primes. It just doesn't, I guess, uh, so to, to ask you, because you have covered some of these Olympic Games yeah. before, uh, has that been the trip? It, it does feel like the Olympic Games can often serve as a launch point. I mean, it certainly can, but, like, it's a destination. It's not just, like, I don't think it's, I think it's, if that's all you do, like, if that's, I mean, odds are at this point, that's going to be the highlight of Monica Puig's career, right? That's amazing for her that she got to be the first gold medalist in Puerto Rican history and is a national hero forever for, for Puerto Rico and the people there. Like, that's huge. She has that for the rest of her life. And I just I just know from being at tournaments uh, where Andrew Krasny is the announcer, and he's you know MC for a lot of big American tournaments, India Wells, Cincinnati. And notably, I remember, especially in Cincinnati a lot of years, because it comes right after the Olympics, he will, when he's doing his intros of the, of the players and reading their accomplishments, the thing that he always saves for last and gets the biggest reaction is whatever they did at the Olympics. You know, honestly, even if it's just like... Uh, John Isner, let's say, for example, or not even John Isner, like, well, yeah, John Isner's a good example. Like, if he says, like, Wimbledon semifinalist and member of the U.S. Olympic team, member of the U.S. Olympic team gets a bigger reaction. NCAA champion, but Olympic bronze medalist in uh, 2016 in mixed doubles, or gold medal. uh, No, bronze medalist was Johnson in in men's men's doubles. Excuse me. Yeah, Yeah, no, like Jack Sock, like his his biggest things have been his his, his medals. I was trying to pick Isner because Isner's actually someone who didn't do amazing at the Olympics, but like, but he did play. He did get there. And like, even still, people, people will get that. Like we're people, you know, you and me, in, in this in this or world we're so Marty deep in, we're so deep into it well marty yeah. fish obviously but I'm, I'm i'm trying to use a more extreme example like john is their top 10 player won miami you know grand slam semifinalist is wins over everybody probably at least once somewhere but what people who are not fluent in this tennis language we're speaking can recognize is oh wow you were on the olympic team like well, that that's gets why the I biggest say reaction fish is i know well, he got a, he got a, he got a silver medal but that's what I'm saying is like that was – and he became a part of the tennis ecosystem. Like he had recognition as an athlete in America, not just I think as a tennis player. 
Yeah, Maradu's a kind of weird example because it didn't really lead to anything directly. And actually, for him, like it was really heartbreaking that Olympics experience. He is like he left with a very sour taste in his mouth from losing that match to Masoub from I think two sets to one up. Yeah. Like I think that was actually like kind of a rougher example of of an Olympic. Uh, hopefully, he's at peace with it now. Um, but that was I mean, silver. There's studies that show that silver medalists are like less happy than bronze medalists. And I think Marty it's Fish the is. best part of the photo op is yeah. that like there's this devastated silver medalist, and then the guy with the bronze or the woman with the bronze is just like yeah. electric and just you yeah. know again. So Marty, so Marty is Marty is part of that phenomenon. But uh, yeah, you know, how about like, if, if Andy Murray hadn't solidified himself as as the goat in terms of the Olympics and tennis, would Fernando Gonzo be number two for the men? Like bronze medal, two thousand four silver medal. Look, if you go to uh, Chile, like I actually went to Chile in what year did I go to Chile? Twenty ten. There are like I'm pretty sure I still saw like Masu or Gonzalez or something on a billboard because those were like one of the very very few gold medals they got in doubles and then Messi won singles too that Chile's ever won like you're again set for life and so certain countries that will mean tons and others it won't like but like again just like I just don't understand like the risk reward like I'm saying it's so good like if you lose first round no one's gonna be like oh you flop like you suck like obviously there's no prize money no ranking points but the reward of getting out of there with being with an Olympic medal I think it's worth so much to people and I, I just I sort of I really do second guess the uh, the advice people are giving their players, agents, and and coaches, steering them away from Olympics. Uh, I I would I'm I don't sort of trust that guidance. I got to say I, I I sort of side eye that pretty heavily. So and and let's be honest, you're talking about the many young Americans who have opted out because that's the most notable example. I suppose Shapovalov would be the other young Canadian who opts out. Nor I, I sinner. Well, be a I mean, third the, one, I, well, I mean, this well. Americans are an interesting example because, like, most of the Americans, I mean, they all would have been like long list medal threats, right? Like, you know, even if the A team, American A team, had shown up, you know, your Opelka, Fritz, Isner, and who was number four? Uh, Tommy, Paul, no. or Tiafo? Yeah, okay, Paul sure. or Tiafo. Like, and Tommy, Tommy, and they're both, and Paul and Tiafo both are going. Yeah, Sandgren's but, around there as well. Yeah, so like, well, Sandgren's like seven or eight, but like. Yeah. If, if even if those guys had gone, it would have been a surprise from the win. Not impossible for one of those guys to semi, but it would have been a bit of a surprise. But like, yeah, like Sinner, Chapo, Ronich, obviously Nadal, but Nadal already has one. Like, I just feel like you know, it'd be such a nice crowning moment for like if a Ronich had gone to Tokyo and had medaled. It would have been something that he could. It would be like something. Honestly, you know, think of it this way: like they're all going to die someday. Like in your <laughs> obituary, if you win an Olympic medal, that will be in the first paragraph. Of what I you did as a, as a tennis player. That's why I think Hubie is like so well situated to make a run at this Olympics. He yeah. has the Masters title. He's made a semifinal. Like this would be sort of that that crowning achievement in the breakout season. Look. I think it fits the narrative. But to your point, I agree with you. It's like they're the Olympic Games, and again here in the United States, I feel like the effect of the Olympics is perhaps a bit nullified to some extent. But, like, around the world, everywhere else, I feel like the Olympics does mean more. I know you love your next-gen boys, right? Yes. None of them have done anything in their careers to this point which would overshadow winning gold in Tokyo, right? If it's Tsitsipas, if it's Zverev... You could argue Zverev's done one thing that might overshadow it. Sure. Uh, Medvedev, you know, like, any of them. Chapeau, you want to throw him in there, too. Obviously, he's out. But, like, if they win Olympic gold, one of those three, which they very plausibly could be one of those three if it's not Djokovic, um, 
that would be their crowning achievement to this point. That would be their calling card. And, 100%. and they should be, and hopefully they're treating it as such. Like, it's still a big, big deal. It's still, it's way above a Masters event. And I know, I think Sam Querrey specifically has said, like, I'd rather win Indian Wells than win the Olympics. Um, at some point he did say that. But I don't think that most people feel that way. And certainly not the winners. I don't think the winners, once you actually get there, I think it's, I think I it's an easy think thing. I think it's sour grapes if you haven't won it, too. It's, he's also the exception because Indian Wells is like his home event. He's the, he is a California kid, so that would be the dream come true, perhaps traveling there as a kid, or whatever. But no, I agree with you. The Olympics does mean something. Case in point, Novak Djokovic, who has the option to pursue history in a couple of routes uh, here this season, he's already tied Federer Nadal with his twentieth Grand Slam title. Yeah. He uh, is only missing one thing from his mantle, of course. It is that I, I mean, you could suppose the doubles and gold, uh, in, the gold medal and doubles as well but he's missing that gold medal singles title he made the semifinals back in 2012 ended up losing uh the match to i want to say Andy murray, murray yep. before getting knocked off in the bronze medal match as well again 2016 the notable uh first round loss for his for him for him for him him uh, to Juan Martel. I think 2008 he lost semifinals as well to Nadal. You're right. It wasn't yep. semis, semis. It was quarters. I know they played, yeah, deep. Yeah, semis of that as well. So he's sniffed. He's been around there. He's never gotten over the winner's circle. Now, of course, there's two lines of thinking here. A, had he lost at either of the first th- any of the first three Grand Slams this season, there's not a doubt he would be playing these Olympic Games. And it is the one thing that he's missing. And at age 34, he's as close to his prime as he's ever going to be. And certainly the fact that a Medvedev, a Zverev, a Tsitsipas, a Berrettini haven't won their first majors, he's going to be as definitive of a favorite entering these Olympics as he will <laughs> ever be moving forward. So, of course, this is the perfect combination of opportunity and and you know, peaking Novak Djokovic entering these Olympic Games. And yet, he has the opportunity to do something that hasn't been done since the 60s, to be the first person since Rod Laver to win the calendar Grand Slam, all four slams in the same season, of course. That would be his 21st Grand Slam singles title of his career, passing Federer, passing Nadal. It would be a fantastic redemption story given what happened at the 2020 U.S. Open as well. And there is a line of thinking that he's putting that in jeopardy by playing these Olympic Games. Where does noted Djokovic it's I was going to make a dig at you, but then I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure a couple of days ago you tweeted that you think Djokovic is the GOAT and not particularly close. So where does noted Novak Djokovic supporter Ben Rothenberg stand on this issue? Because that's the story of the Not a Djokovic, side. you know, like exalter and hagiographer at this point. Yeah, no, I said Djokovic was the yeah. was the goat before the Wimbledon <laughs> final, before he even got to twenty. It was what when I when I said that, and yeah. I still totally stand by that. I mean, just from a from a if you're doing the 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 statistical, statistical goat, right? Which I, and I'm open to there being yes. other conversations and other arguments towards goat that are not based yes. on that first and foremost. Who is the best tennis yeah. player? A player of that's tennis. Different. Excuse me, that's a different yes. conversation. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I think Djokovic would have been crazy to pass this up because he's never won it before. Like you said, next time he's going to be thirty-eight. Who knows what he'll still be doing if he's still be playing at that point? And yeah, and it's going to be on clay also, which he's not going to love in, in, in four years at Roland Garros in the twenty twenty-four Olympics. So or three years actually, only three years away. But I, it's so actually he'll only be thirty-seven. Okay, recalibrating a bit, but. Uh, yeah, in that case, yeah, no, but, no, but I mean, no, has like, the no, chance to go yeah. for a Golden Slam, which Steffi Graf won in '88, and it's considered obviously a crowning achievement, still unique to her. 
uh, and she was just destroying people in 88 all over the place. Um, for him to have that chance, sure. And, like, I don't think there's any reason to think that he is imperiling his U.S. Open by going to the Olympics. The, the Where it becomes peril is, is purely from an emotional exhaustion standpoint, right? Like, if you go... Because you saw how much the Olympics meant him in 2016, right? When he goes... When he loses to Del Potro first round and weeping as he leaves the court. And, yeah, and you saw Del Potro trolling him on Instagram uh, today. That was pretty funny. Where Del Potro posted a photo of himself on the plane to Tokyo and Del Potro was like, well, you actually have a shot at this one because I'm not going, essentially. Uh, which was fantastic. Um, good to see Del Potro also hitting uh, recently as well. Um, but yeah... Yeah, Djokovic should go. Like he's playing time to recover too. This is a July tournament, you know. Like, who, what? What? There's no reason why it should derail you for late August, unless there's some sort of emotional exhaustion, and that will be the thing that will be the key for him in New York too. Looking a little bit head to back, and that's kind of what you're going for, right? Like his calendar slam shot here. That was what happened to Serena. It was just the pressure and the emotional weight of it all finally like wore her down, and you saw that so much in the loss to Vinci and how that match went. Uh, that's going to be the battle for Novak. I mean, if he beats himself or if he sort of implodes or collapses in some way more than anybody having the real tennis to beat him best on best, that's not going to happen right now. I mean, his I, I really think his C game is better than everybody else's A game at this point. And he, he's just that much better than the field. You're, 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 you're raking a face, but I but you know it's true. B you minus know it's game. true. B C minus plus. We'll settle on C plus. No, 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 no. It's got to be B minus because if it's C plus... <laughs> I think some of the next gen guys are in B are in C plus range. Like if if it's C plus, you don't think Medvedev can? Have, whatever, we're not doing this debate no. right now. Yes, no, okay, no, sure. no. I, I I think that yeah, I think Djokovic has been so good at managing himself recently. Well, the point is he didn't play his best at Wimbledon, and he still won it dropping only and that was what, two A sets? plus so like, ever yes, from Chapo that yes. he beat in straights and 100%. not his best. No, Chapo played better than him, and he lost the match yeah. in straights. So there you go. Yeah. Like so anyway, so yeah, you're right. I think Novak is uh, C plus. I think Novak is. I think <laughs> Novak is is really set to do uh, to do big things. And yeah, and, and just like passing it up again. They talk about regrets. Like especially if you win the U.S. Open, people will be like, "You didn't get that gold medal, dude. Like, what were you thinking?" And he'll have more shots at twenty one. And like for me, again, I'm already on record saying I think he's the goat already statistically, even with only twenty. Even if let's say Rafa wins twenty one at in New York uh, or Fed. Uh, for that matter, like if one of them pulls ahead, like doesn't make Novak less dominant. I think I think the margins. I feel definitely feel this way for Serena and Margaret Court. If you even want to consider her record real, which I don't, but like the difference between twenty three and twenty four, or between twenty and twenty one, is so marginal. Like you have five percent more slams than somebody. Like I just don't think that's that big a deal. Like I think the difference between someone won one slam and won two slams that's big. The difference between winning two slams and three slams, that's pretty big. The difference between winning 20 slams and 21 slams, like, in the end, you're not going to really pay attention to how many are in your are in your cabinet, unless there's some really OCD census happening all the time. Uh, yeah, so I, I just think that, yeah, I think he's doing the right thing by playing. I was relieved to see him play. I was annoyed when he said he was only 50-50 after winning, winning Wimbledon, and I'm glad that he landed on the uh, the head side or whatever he called on his Serbian coin to, uh, to get rolling to Tokyo. No, I mean, you're absolutely right. And, you know, the difference, Steffi Graf, to go back to her crowning achievement again, 1988, she becomes the only player to win all four slams and the Olympic medal in the same year. She was 19 years old. Djokovic is 34. Mm-hmm. Like, the difference between some of these young players not playing, say a Shapovalov, say a Kasparud, who will 
represent Norway someday at the Olympics is that they will have other opportunities. They do only have to wait three years to get there. Meanwhile, just making up for lost time, making up for repetitions. I'm not saying I agree with the argument as you now shake your head at me. I'm saying that I can understand the, the logic behind the argument of go play events, I, go no, rack up I just, points, I just, go rack again, up points. Like Casper, I mean, Casper's an interesting one because like, he's not a great hardcore player, so he's not like He's he's somebody who is well well served ranking wise by going to play Bostad and whatever else is going to vulture over this next month uh, to get himself close to the top ten, uh, you know, really away from the spotlight because he's some. I don't know if you saw we did a feature on NCR where to figure out if Courtney could identify could pick Casper out of a lineup. Did you see this? This was actually phenomenal content. I have not. Could she do it? I don't want to give away, but it, it, it okay, was not automatic no for spoilers. her to do that way. Actually, to work at it. Okay. Um, so, I think I could. I'm pretty sure you could do it. Yes, I mean I could do it too. But she's saying like he's not made an impact, and she calls herself jokingly ATP outsider, right? But Casper's done very little uh, on a big stage in the sport, honestly, right? But winning, doing well at the Olympics, and being a, a great, uh, you know, being one of the better, already the best tennis player in Norwegian history, right? Like going to at least in modern times, you want to talk about like Mal. Mallory Bierstead or whatever back in the tens, like I don't know if she represented Norway. Shout out Mallory Bierstedt. Absolutely, uh, nothing but love for her on this podcast. As I hope people are yeah, aware. At this point, podcast as you know, uh, she did represent the U.S. for a while. But anyway, I don't want to go too deep into her. Uh, with Casper, um, like you know, like but why? Like you know, like why? because you don't know if you're gonna, you know, honestly, not to be pessimistic, like you're gonna blow out your knee and just be like screwed, and you won't get to play you know, Paris in 2024, if that's what you're talking about. Like you don't take having the chance and passing it up. It's just a, it's a, it's a move, especially when you've never done it before. When you're a first timer talking to you, rude sinner, Corda, Opelka, Fritz, all, all those guys. Yeah, of course. Like, uh, and shout out to them for listening, obviously. Uh, but yeah, but you, you know, you're, you're going to, it's not something you're going to look back on and be like, that was something I, I feel great about. You, you, there will there will have been logic that will have convinced you at the time, and there will have been short term rewards for it. Like one of you will might win a Los Cabos title, and that'll be nice, I guess. But like honestly, like who cares compared to the Olympics? Yeah. Like it's the no, Olympics. It's, it's just it, it just seems it just seems fun. I've been to one Olympics in my life. I went uh, to Sochi, and just like you get caught up in like the in the buzz of it, even if you're. No, you know it's there. probably really cool to be 23 and be in the Olympic Village, even with cardboard beds. Like I bet that's I hear those really are sturdier than you'd think. Yeah, and guess what? They're athletes. They don't need the no, bed. They're going to be gonna okay. Be um, yeah, exactly. And so the point being, I I I'm playing the devil's advocate just to offer the other side of the explanation. You kind of named it there. He's also got an inside shot at the at the top ten. If you're Casper, yeah. and like all of these guys going to play the City Open and just preparing for these summer hardcore events where there's money in play, where there's points in play, to some of these young players that is still a value. And I, I you're making a face to say you no, understand I completely that. understand. I'm I, saying Casper, like I'm looking. Let me pull up the schedule here. Casper, I'm sure. I'm not sure what his schedule is exactly, but he w- he's playing another clay court event. I'm this sure he is. But I'm not sure if he's playing Umag or Gestad, but. I was going to say, like, he's, without looking at the draws to actually confirm, like, he's going to get appearance money from Umag or Gestad and then Kitzbehel if he wants to play that, too. You know? No, it was the number one seed last week. I think he's the number one seed this okay, week. Okay, so there you go. So, I mean, he's, in, you know, as a top 20 year, especially in a tough time, you're going to get good money. Those tournaments still want to happen. And as much as I sort of think that part of the calendar is uh, a, not great for the big picture sport, especially on the women's side, like, on the women's side, they go basically from Wimbledon to just like a month of of European clay. 
two fifties. It's just like so suboptimal uh, for minus Prague. Crash out to Prague for being on hard courts. Absolutely, actually. Um, but yeah, just like look at that section of the calendar. I'm like, what is happening here? There's no value in any of this. And I, you know, I, I know that like macro, like forest of the trees or micro, like it's nice that Poland gets the tournament. It's nice that you know. Uh, Budapest, Budapest, you know, that these tournaments can exist for the local markets, but they they don't help the big picture of the tour at all. Anyway, so that that's sort of a sidebar onto so so Casper, I, I I get for him, but like still, and he is actually close to a tangible goal, and hopefully he's thinking as mechanically like I can get top ten. Like hopefully there's like a real sort of cynical uh, ambition there that he's done the math or someone's on the math and be like, you you have a real shot at sort of sneaking into the top 10. If you, if you peak at this moment where the castle's unguarded, you can do it. Uh, and maybe then Courtney will recognize you. And, but until then, like but for a lot of players, generally they don't have that. And there's no reason why someone else should be chipping in or, or stepping back. There are a lot of players with cynical ambitions. I don't think Casper is one of them. I, I think he's a guy whose ambitions are very optimistic. I don't think they're well. Cynical. I mean, like, I mean, like, I not cynical, but like calculated. No, right? I know, calculated. I know. I, yeah, I know. I'm just giving you a hard time. I just think that's an interesting description. But the point being, and this is sort of the question we have coming into every event that Novak Djokovic is in. If it's not Djokovic, who's your guy to watch this Olympics? Medvedev. This surface, we've seen him win Shanghai. We've seen him have success in the Asian Swing. We. It just feels like he's tailor-made for these Olympic Games. I feel like it's going to be a Russian. I could see it being Rublev. I could honestly see it being Hatchinov as well. And just, you know, again, I'm not going to make you talk more about Zverev because God knows you do enough of that. But, like, I, I feel like it's the same group as always, Well, we'll see, right? how, we'll it's, see, it's how, it's, we'll see how it's playing. If it's playing really slow, then that would point more towards Zverev um, or Tsitsipas. I guess Tsitsipas can play on faster courts, although his grass results have been subpar uh after starting okay on his career okay in his career at the grass uh yeah i you know i don't know i think Medvedev is is a pretty good favorite a good solid bet and he's been playing decently enough uh to where he'd make sense as a pick uh you mentioned qb you know i think there's like i think there's like a solid cast of characters to be credible medalists there and if you even get some, some somebody random you know if you get like uh who would count as random here like if you get um um, look around the map here. Sasha Bublik, or even like Big I was thinking, like Bublik. I don't know, is Cam Nori playing? Like if Cam, no, he's okay, out. okay. Well, Cam, I was gonna say Cam Nori would be like a very cool, like credible, like a Cam bronze. Nori type. Yeah, okay. Sure. Like Millman, right? If like if Millman's there, I know Millman's Ugo there. Ugo Umber. I'm saying Millman. If Millman goes and he okay. gets like a bronze medal, that's lovely. You know, that's like he's something he can hang his hat on. That's like his like it'll be his claim to fame for the rest of his career. He's been a US seven quarterfinalist. He's had some good results, like at times, but to actually have something to show for your career in terms of hardware people will understand, that's again what the Olympics kind of is about for a tennis context, I think. It's like you're, tennis is included in this wonderful world spectacle where we give out these prizes that mean a lot to the whole world and, and translate and are valuable currency out in the world. Uh, have a shot at one, and, and you know you win four matches, and you have a sh- or five matches, I guess, to win a medal in the Olympics. If you win five, you definitely get one to six for gold. Um, uh, maybe doing my math wrong, but uh, yeah, yeah. But it's uh, yeah. So for someone like a Millman, for someone like a Tiafo, like a uh, I'm trying to think of other sort of players in that range here, like Sanego. Or uh, a Kasmanovic. Yeah, well, that's a little bit deeper cut. But yeah, like, yeah, like those guys, 
they could do something. It would be it would be nice. It would be great for them. It would really transform their legacies in the sport. And I just wouldn't pass it up if I was a player. Hell no. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think you've made that clear. If nothing else, but. I, I, from a tennis perspective, it's all of the guys you would expect, right? And it really is tough to say till we know the conditions, till we know exactly what the draw is going to look like. But yeah, there are your usual group of contenders outside of Novak Djokovic. That being said, quick prediction, men's side: Djokovic winning that elusive gold medal. Yeah, I mean, like of course, like I, I mean, like a peak Medvedev can beat him too. Peak Medvedev is somebody who like maybe does challenge a little bit of my sort ace AC game kind of thing. But he's kind of alone there, I feel like, right now. Um, and just, like, because he's also good mentally when he wants to be. Although that Australian Open final was such a such a dud in the end. Um, so, maybe a little bit burnt on that. But, yeah, like, you just saw it with uh, Sitsipas in the French Open. Like, Djokovic is so good at, at giving the guy a lot of rope, but still, you know, being in control of the match, even if it looks like it's, it's slipping away from him. So... Mm-hmm. No, that's Zverev match in Australia as well. He's down breaks in sets three and four. He ends up winning it in four sets. Yeah, I think it's Djokovic's to lose. I do still think ton of fun uh, storylines. And again, silver medal, bronze medal. If Zverev could win a bronze medal match, maybe that does do something for his confidence. Just getting over that finish line with a prize on the line or just well, any of these young players. Maybe you're the guy who beats Djokovic. I really do. Uh, who be for the bronze? If I could bet it, I would. Trivia, I just have this feeling. Trivia for you, you probably do know this. Um, you know who beat nice. uh, Federer in 04 Olympics to get his career kickstarted? Federer at the 04 Olympics. It wasn't Andy Murray. It was Novak Djokovic, I'm going to say. No. 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 It's Burditch. Jarko. Oh, Burditch came just, out of oh, kind of nowhere. I did know that. I was going to say Joaquim Johansson. No. Burditch came out of kind of nowhere and beat Federer in the third round, I want to say, in Athens. And yeah. Federer was the guy, obviously, already at that point in 04. And he was able to parlay that into like being confidence boost that helped him believe he was a top player and got a master's title in Bercy either that year or the next year. And yeah, it developed into being a really solid top 10 guy. So yeah, there is definitely, that's another, that's actually a good alternate prize is being the person who stopped Shokovic from either winning the Olympics or winning the U.S. Open. Like, that's a meaningful achievement too. Everybody remembers Roberta Vinci. Who remember Roberta Vinci more than Panetta at that slam, honestly? 100%. So yeah, that's an interesting sort of thing to think about as terms of other prizes. Uh, you mentioned one thing about Zverev, about him, how this would be a confidence boost for him if he wins uh, bronze. I don't oh, think Zverev is short on confidence at all. I don't think that's ever been the issue. He believes. Just getting over a finish line like that? He believes. He believes. It's not that. Like, he, sure. he's no, there's no short of self-belief with Zverev. That's not the issue. Oh, I like to hear that, uh, I suppose. Um, but, no, I mean, again, all of these players, a young a run from a young Felix, that's something to get after. I think the doubles pairings are certainly going to be enjoying as well. But that's we'll another thing. Gears. You can win them double. Uh, you can win a medal in doubles. And people are still like, whoa, you won an Olympic medal. That's awesome. Like again, and, and that's you know Federer's Olympic gold medalist from doubles, and I'm saying that's it right Justice now. Bublik, Bublik, Rabakina, mixed doubles champions. That'd be cool. Here first. That'd be cool if they get in. I hope they get in. Right, that draw is tough to get into, even with this depleted field. Olympic mixed, yeah. tiny sixteen draw. That's very annoying. It should it should be a bigger draw. That's my main Olympic yeah. complaint. Is Olympics should be the easiest fix to make it a thirty-two draw for for mixed as well. It shouldn't be a devalue competition. It's still the same medal, just as heavy, and. Uh, and, and yeah, and then uh, yeah, but then no, I would I also love to reform it to being some sort of more team event. That'd be kind of cooler than just mm-hmm. the standard single elimination tournament. It's pretty unimaginative. Yeah, no, again, things to work on as well. But switch gears, we go to the women's side. 
it's as wide open as any women's event is. Now, certainly Ashley Barty enters with the momentum, but you've got an Arena Sabalenka lingering in the draw. You've got, I mean, I, do you want me to list all of the players? All of them. The, uh, they're all there, minus the ones we named earlier. So I suppose there's no uh, Bianca Andreescu, there's no Simona Halep, there's no Sonia Kennan, but it is Naomi Osaka, home event, on a hard court. She's won the last two majors on a hard court, separated herself from the field in doing so, was so, so excellent in both that 2020 U.S. Open run and the 2021 Australian Open run. We haven't seen her in a while, but is she still your favorite entering the event? What are your thoughts? Oh, I don't know. I don't think that's fair to her, make her a favorite after having the kind of hiatus she's had, um, which has, could not have been easy for her, obviously, ducking out of the French Open, or leaving the French Open, that's maybe a better word. The way she did... Um, uh, you know, still obviously not in a great mental space there, and her training, obviously, I'm sure has been affected by that a bit, and hasn't played a competitive match in a long time. While these other players are coming off two full, full slams uh, of, of match toughness, and it's gonna be a ton of pressure on her, both with obviously all the pressure that was gonna be there already with the Tokyo Olympics and being the face of those sorts of games, and also all the additional you know microscopes she's under from from uh, the the sort of the the statement she's made and her media profile and getting, you know, ridiculous, you know, ridiculous commentators on her life. Now you're Megan Kelly's your Pierce Morgan's who are just weighing in on her every move. Now, um, that's not going to be easy. And so I think if she does do anything, gets a medal, that'd be an unbelievable achievement. Uh, you know, even if this is a, a good surface for her and a good conditions for her, and she has played well in Japan in her career, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to think. I mean, I think Barty's still a, a fair favorite. You know, Barty's good hardcore player. Uh, is the informed player won Wimbledon fairly comfortably. You know, Apliskova is, is playing well too. Is also has won Tokyo in the past. Uh, you know, it, it, it's sort of a classic women's tournament. I think Osaka is definitely the the wild card in the sort of sense of being the you know the unpredictable quantity here. But it's it's uh, still you know women's tennis. It could go. It could be fairly chalky. I mean, Wimbledon was fairly chalky by women's tennis standards. Or it could be, you know, uh, here's your gold medal, Tamara Zdancic or Pavlyuchenko. <laughs> Honestly, like, those are things that could happen and, and wouldn't be shocking. No, here's why it's on my radar. Sabalenka Murray parallel, 2012 to now, too easy to make. Like, she comes off of a semifinal at Wimbledon. Big run for her. Now, it's not a direct comparison, but she gets a breakthrough run here, wins a gold medal at this Olympic Games, parallels that, uh, parallels that, excuse me, carries that into success uh, at the U.S. Open. I think she's very much primed to do so. I think you look at, like, at someone like Iga Swiatek. Why can't she win these Olympic Games, get herself a little bit of momentum heading she's into a good the summer hardcore stretch? Yeah, of course. In all of them, Krejcikov has been so excellent. Maria Sakkari's made very, very clear how important these Olympic Games are for her. I'm not saying she's the favorite to win the gold, but we, we see her in the mix for the bronze medal. I don't think that should surprise anyone. To your point, it's an open field like any WTA event is, but when we talk about the using the Olympics as a catapult into making a jump. This field feels or this uh, this year's women's singles field feels particularly well suited to serve as a mechanism for that. No, I mean, like, I think it's a great chance at women's tennis for more data. You know, like we're just still trying to figure out what's up in women's tennis and who's like really got the goods, who's really the best, what the story really is. Barty obviously gives some clarity. She's clear number one at this point. Uh, that's something you can sort of solidify around. But, you know, Olympic medal is going to mean something to somebody, presumably, and it's going to be another sort of 
you know, mark of, of something of, of proof of, of greatness for one of these women who wins it or three of these women who win them, you know, get on the metal stand. So whether it's a Krejcikova, Krejcikova, absolutely killing ladies in Prague. You see these scorelines she was doing in Prague. I mean, that's Great she. She has way. not. She has not missed a beat uh, from from winning Strasbourg French Open, tough two set loss to Barty in the fourth round of Wimbledon, and then uh, yeah, coming to Prague on the hard courts there and and really taking care of business. I mean, two and zero in the final, one and two in the semi, three and zero in the quarter against her doubles partner Siniakova. Like just savagery from from Babs, and you know that's that's nice to see. Like I would love to see her sort of parlay that into a into a really good living performance. That'd be that'd be cool to see as well, you know. But it, it can be anything. I, there's also like I also don't like predicting fields before the draw too, and the draw can depend a lot. So I'll say more meaningful, granular predictions of who can do well uh, for the when the draws out. But uh, yeah, but it's gonna be an interesting field for sure. There's a lot of lot of interesting contrasts and everything. Again, compared to the men's side when it's. Uh, on the men's side, it's still Djokovic or, or the field. But I really do like that also that in the Olympics, you know, silver medal, bronze medal, real prizes. There are real constellation prizes in this tournament. And it would be nice. It'd be, you know, like Chapeau at the at Wimbledon, you know, probably would have won, I'm guessing, like a bronze medal match at Wimbledon against her catch if that had been such a, if such a thing existed. Uh, it'll be nice for someone to get that feeling at, uh, at Tokyo. Yeah, go watch the celebration between Jack Sock and Steve Johnson after they win that bronze medal in 2016. Go watch any of the looks on any of these players' faces. Petra Kvitova 2016 when she bounces back to win the bronze or just time after time after time. Uh, these Olympics do matter, and so that is why they're an exciting moment on the tennis schedule. Of course, again, as an Andy Murray fan, the Olympics will always be near and dear to my heart, but we sort of talked about the players, the characters. Any other storylines, any things you'll be watching for in specific? Obviously, uh, really, really sad to note how many players have tested positive for COVID over this stretch of time. Now, some of them haven't even traveled to Japan yet, but of course, there is no rest in the tennis schedule. After the Olympics, you'll go right into Rogers Cup, Western and Southern, U.S. Open stretch. Testing positive for COVID matters. Like, we do wonder, how does this affect golf? How does this affect Demon Hour? There are two players who can play significant roles this summer. Uh, That's something I'm certainly watching for. Curious if there's anything else you'll be looking for. No, I think the COVID thing is a is a down but good note to end on. Uh, it's an absolute wild card again, or you know, question mark or, or random factor that could be at play in a lot of this year's tennis too. I mean, like Djokovic, you know, like one of the biggest threats to him completing his Golden Slam is going to be getting forced out for some sort of you know close contact type situation. Or, or I, testing positive himself is a little less likely because he's already had the virus but it's not possible that he could do it again with a variant you know that's going to be a real risk for him that's one of the biggest risks for him completing this history uh is that sort of situation and yeah we've seen it again with players like Kanta, you know losing her wimbledon as the top brit you know because of covid uh not going to play Olympics because of covid and it just like it boggles my mind these these players who so many of them like like a Kanta, are so meticulous about their training regimens and so professional about so many things, but yet leave this massive thing to chance uh, by saying unvaccinated. I think it's such a such a dumb, 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 dumb move. And and my level of sympathy for people who going forward are testing positive is going to be very, very low. Testing positive having not been vaccinated, which does greatly increase your chances of contracting the virus not being vaccinated. Um, 
because there's plenty of chances. There's vaccination happening quietly at Wimbledon. There's vaccination happening in Washington coming up. I know there's a, a lot of events have been doing it. I know Belgrade got attention for it, but it's been more than just that. And Charleston also for the women. Uh, but it's been more than that that are, that's been doing it. And yeah, like it, these players just like the vaccine resistance among them, just from a purely talking about the cynical, like, where am I get the money? Like putting your Olympic or, or your US Open prize money at risk by saying I'm vaccinated. Nutty. Nutty. Yeah. That's, that's my thought on that. No, it's fair. Again, it's two pokes. Like, I promise you'll be okay. Um, you'll be fine. The radioactive Again, like, glow, it looks really good when you have to go to the bathroom at night and you're like, do I need to turn on a light? Oh, I can sneak around because I'm glowing. That's great. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah. ha- you know how easy it is to avoid traffic when you have wings, Ben? Like, it <laughs> makes life so much easier when you can just fly around and, like, yeah, that's the perks of the Moderna boy. Like that's what I can do nowadays. So shout yeah, out to exactly. Moderna. I have the Moderna too. I had decently unpleasant side effects from the second dose. Um, in terms of having like fever or like chills and shivering or bunch, which was actually kind of cool because I was like, oh wow, it's working. Like I don't feel yeah. good. Like I can feel it. Uh, and so that was all good. And the players all have time and opportunity to do it. And yeah, sympathy very much waning to non-existent at this point for players, for athletes who don't do it and who also put other people at risk by continuing to be morons about it and just being bad members of society. I agree. It's not hard to do. Again, they're scientists for a reason. Trust them. It's um, also It also is nuts to me that like Indian Wells coming up is having rules you have to be vaccinated to be on site as a fan or a staffer or media or whatever but there, not but players. not for the players. Yeah. Like, I mean, come on. Like, again, just like... This, again, just goes back to sort of bad COVID citizenship type rant that we were having a lot in 2020 about tennis players. It's continuing. Amen. Uh, again, well, with that in mind, that's exactly the note we wanted to end on. But hopefully we will get the chance to hang out a little bit this summer. I'm hoping to go to the City Open, hoping to mm-hmm. get to hang out with the mayor of all things nightlife in D.C., Ben Rothenberg, God. figure out what's looking out down there. But, of course catch some tennis as well i will absolutely be at the western and southern open so i will uh see you there and then again do i ever get a slam press credential to a grand slam the the world it's like a center of the tootsie pop how many licks world may never know it's a, it's an elusive number but of course i know if i do not i will be treated to exceptional coverage from my fen- friend ben rothenberg and there are many outlets in which your work appears, where can we expect your work most recently coming up or most soonest, I suppose? Yeah, working on one story I've been working on for a while. Looking forward to that coming out eventually. Is that a tease? And Is that a that's tease? A, that's a tease, I guess, if you want to call it that. I mean, we'll maybe not the appropriate there. term. But, uh, but yeah, still working on that. And that's uh, still not, may not, not be the uh, appropriate term. Good point. What's that? Like, it may not be the appropriate. No, term probably for not. This but story. but you know that's still something I'm I, I've unfinished business on. I'm looking forward to finishing finally. And yeah, and otherwise same old, same old. NCR uh, hopefully this week will happen. I've had a guest trying to track down a guest to get the time done. We'd love to have you on again, Grusky. Certainly, if you're in Washington, we can we can do it. And yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing you again in person. We've met in person like briefly. For how much time we spent online together? We we you were in Cincinnati the one time in twenty nineteen or eighteen. Nineteen. I definitely was like, "Hey Ben, I'm Alex Gruskin." You're like, "Yeah, I know who you are now." And I was like, "Yeah, but you don't really know who I am yet." I recognize your voice I, right away from those roundtables. So I was like, "Oh my god, yeah, I know that voice." Now so I'm gonna like me. I'm gonna come up, sneak up behind you, like arm over the neck, like you know the 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 grab and the hug, and then well, hug and you know. I don't know is that, that is that? I was waiting for you to segue into a Manscaped ad there, but yeah. no. uh, uh, thank you for that. 
experience. Oh, it's funny. You know, you had me distracted. I'll throw it in in post. Um, right. But no, that's that's very very funny. Um, yeah, I'm I'm excited to be back on scene. I'm excited to just be in front of these players. Like press conferences for you at Wimbledon still Zoom though, right? Yeah, still Zoom. And yeah, I don't know what it's going to be in. I don't know what it's going to be in in DC or or Cincinnati or New York. Honestly, I, it's still they're still not totally nailing it down or not not clarifying that. I feel like if you know U.S. Open, like I mean, no bubble, full attendance, like no bubble for the players at all. Like, come on, like let the pe- let the let's have the press conferences be normal. Like, let let's the people just do in. it. Yeah, let. The I mean, you're right because like it's kind of it's kind of farcical to do it on Zoom from opposite sides of the wall when the players are there. And if you want to have us be masks in the room, we can we can do that. But like. Yeah, just it's I, I miss the human element of that part a lot. That was what theoretically what the value on-site media provides is being is the being there. That's what people can't do. Like you can all, especially in this day and age, every single court is streamed and available on demand. Often, like we everyone can watch some matches now. That part has been democratized and spread out. Excuse me, which didn't used to be the case back. You know, even when I first started. Mm-hmm. One of the first things I, I read to get Corey's attention was I live tweeted a match between Ivanovic Azarenka first round, good match, uh, and yeah, just like be, having you know that was back in the day. What sports writers did was like you guys couldn't watch this sporting event, so here's what it looked like and sounded like, and here's the you know the break what happened on a break point or whatever. Like it was that basic, you know. Mm-hmm. Back when I was even you know in high school, like Miami, even which is a big tournament, you know, one of the biggest tournaments in the U.S. like wouldn't kick on TV coverage until like maybe the quarterfinals, mm-hmm. you know, like, or at least maybe a weekend match or something, but like you didn't get to see stuff and now you get to see everything. I think people take that for granted. So no, it's pretty no, cool. Yeah. No. Ivanovic as, as a Renko. In other words, and also the same, same tournament I believe was Sharapova Kuznetsova also was the first time match there. And to be clear, we got to this rant by me asking, where can we find your work most recently? And of course, thank you referring to, I guess you got to go back to the 2010 archives to find live Yeah, tweets. 2010 uh, daily forehand. I think it's available on a <laughs> way back machine. And uh, yeah, it's still there. I'm sure I did some, some decent work. I think 2010, I think I did an interview with Akul Amamurodova there. Ooh. Pretty sure. Mm-hmm. And I am pretty sure I also, when the men's, because Back then, Cincinnati was Women's Week and then Men's Week. It was back-to-back weeks, um, which also used to be where Rome used to work, for those of you old enough to remember. And uh, and I did uh, uh, an interview with Timo DeBacher, I remember, on the men's side that week. Timo DeBacher. Mm-hmm. Not much became of him. Shout out to Timo. No, the Brazilian. One of the uh, No, Danish? Where is he from? No, 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 not Danish. Uh, Two strikes. Not from Netherlands? There you go, Netherlands third. Sorry, there you go. You got it. Did I say Danish? Try. I didn't mean Danish. You I said meant, you said Brazilian, and then you said no, Danish. No, I meant I meant I meant from Netherlands the whole time. I, Brazilian okay. was just an incorrect guess, but I meant I meant the Netherlands, not Danish. All right. Um, anyways, point being, leave all of that in. What do they call someone from Netherlands? I'm Dutch. Dutch. I Dutch. was like, that's Dutch what I meant. That word. was the D I was looking for. I was like, not Danish. Dutch. Uh, again, that's why you're the trivia champ. <laughs> I am not. We have come full circle here. Leave all of that. I know you have a final parting thought for us. Well, I was just going to say that was that's the D I was looking for. It's also a great manscaped uh, <laughs> <cat> lingo. <laughs> 
And you can That's see where it. it was. You can yeah. see it now with our friends at Manscaped, Manscaped.com. The oh, promo God. code is New Balls, please. Shout out to the New Balls, please. Anyways, with all that said, Ben Rothenberg, you can find him on Twitter. You can uh, you can mistake him for Ben Roethlisberger. You can find his work, of course, on the New York Times Crossword Puzzle Leaderboard and a trivia outlet near you. Ben, thank you, as always, for taking the time. Be safe. Be healthy. Take it easy, my friend. Thanks, Alex. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Ben Rothenberg. A huge thank you to him, as always, for taking the time to chat. I hope you listeners can tell uh, he has been far too kind to this podcast, and so we always enjoy having him on the show. It's a very fun dynamic, and so he knows he's always invited back, and I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you've read his work, you listen to No Challenges Remaining, you read his pieces, New York Times, Racket Magazine, wherever they may be, and yes, he has some very interesting developments in the future, so be on the lookout for all of them, of course. If you've missed any of our other conversations, we've had a lot of good ones of late. Here on this show, we've been joined by David Kane, Jeff Sackman, Gary Nathan, David Gertler. Hopefully, all of you have enjoyed those shows and feel adequately prepared for the oncoming onslaught of professional tennis events. Of course, if you've missed out on any of the content, you can find it all on the website, crackrackets.com. You need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at crackrackets. You want to message me directly, I'm at Great shot pod. A shout out as always to our super producers, Max Fleeter and Daniel Westoff for the of an editing job they do day in, day out. A shout out as well to our friends over at Turn of Tennis. Remember, contact sales at uniquesports.com or call 800-554-3707. With all that said, for our fantastic guest, Ben Rothenberg, our super producers, Fleeter and Westoff, our friends at Turn of Tennis, and from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Hey, great shot, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.